Hello, everyone, and welcome to the crux of the story. This is Gary Sheffer. I'm a professor of the practice of public relations at Boston University's College of Communication. My co-host, Mike Fernandez, the esteemed CCO at global energy company Enbridge, and my former neighbor in the hallway here at BU. Yeah. Mike, uh, how you doing? Good. How are you? You know, it, it, it's kind of fun having uh, two friends on with us today to talk about mentoring. Um, I know you've mentored quite a few people through the years, as have I. But I'm curious, Gary, did, did you ever have a formal mentor yourself who helped you think about your career? You know, that's a good question. I I, I can't say that I did. I, didn't, I never have a, an official mentor that uh -huh. I can recall, but I've had a lot of people in my life who've helped me in uh, many ways. Uh, I would say most of all, Jeff Immelt, who was the CEO of GE yeah. that I worked for 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 more than a decade. But it's it's a good question. And one I want to ask Tom and Gary is, are most of these relationships sort of official things or are they just people that you meet along the path of your life uh, as, as mentors? So yeah. Mike, how about you? Uh, for me, it's also been informal. It may be a little generational. I think that the two of us are old enough that there weren't very many mentoring programs as we were coming along. And I had the tendency to just pick up the phone or go see somebody and say, you know, let's get together for coffee. Let's get together for lunch. Uh, and uh, that helped shape my thinking from CEOs to mid-level execs that I admired. Terrific. Terrific. Well, you described these two fellows as friends. And so that's your description, not mine particularly. But, <laughs> you know, I'm going to introduce them uh, anyway. Tom Martin is one of the most respected people in communications. He's the founder of the Martin Center for Mentorship and Communication at the College of Charleston, where he's an executive in residence in the Department of Communication. In this role, he works to build relationships between his department and the business community and to help students transition to the business world. In 2016, he launched a Martin Scholars program, which Mike and I are familiar with, a selective mentoring, networking, and learning program. It develops and selects a group of rising seniors majoring in communication through classroom instruction, exposure to experienced communications leaders who serve as mentors, networking opportunities, with communication department alumni and advisory council members and experiential learning. Before Charleston, Tom was a longtime lead of communications at ITT. Today, Mike, uh, by the way, Tom is our newest competition to the crux of the story. Tom <laughs> just launched uh, a terrific podcast, which we're going to talk about, Mindful Mentoring with Tom Martin. Our second guest is another esteemed communicator, Gary Greats. Gary's managing partner in the eponymous Greats Consulting Group, a communications consulting and advisory firm. Previously, Gary has been a senior leader at General Motors, Edelman, and Real Chemistry. I think, Gary, the first time we met was when you were at GM, which seems like a long time ago. And Gary is a world-renowned expert in change management and culture. He's also the co-director of the Weiss Center for Social Commerce at Syracuse University's Newhouse School of Public Communications. I hope you don't mind if I boo now. 
being here at Boston University, which teaches and trains students to successfully work in today's digital marketplace, is the executive sponsor of the Emerging Insights Lab at Syracuse University, a laboratory for innovative technologies, approaches, and models in communications and marketing. Gary's also on the board of the Planck Center for Leadership and Public Relations, which I believe is housed at the University of Alabama. And the Planck Center is well known to the folks, many of the people listening to this podcast. Its, its mission is to develop and recognize outstanding leaders and role models in public relations. Tom and Gary, welcome to the crux of the story. Welcome to The Crux. Each week, two of the world's top communicators take you behind the scenes of the news of the day to explore the crux of communications that are shaping business, politics, and our daily lives. Hello, this is Gary Shepard. Hi, I'm Mike Fernandez, and we're glad to be with you from Boston University. So, so, Tom, let's start with you. What the heck is an executive in residence at a place like the Carl College of Charleston? It sounds like you're just hanging around the house down there. Well, actually, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a, it was a misunderstanding. I thought they said executive and residence. I thought I was going to get a house, <laughs> but I misunderstood. No, it's it's. Uh, I've been here since 2007 uh, when I retired from ICT, and what I try to do really, Gary, is is just bring the real world into the classroom. And we have some wonderful professors with great theoretical knowledge and, and wonderful uh, you know, academic credentials. But what I try to do is say, okay, all this theory, how do you put it into practice? And how, what, is, what are the needs out there in the profession? So I try to bring that, not just through my own experience, but by bringing in a lot of outside speakers. We have a wonderful National Advisory Council, Mike's, Mike's on our council, and many others that you would know have, have, been, have been or still are on our council. So we bring them to campus twice a year and, and they interact with students. And we have a lot of other mentoring programs, uh, the Martin Scholar program that you mentioned and a mentor protege program that goes beyond that. So we're doing a lot to try to bring the real world into our into our students, into our students' lives. You, you mentioned the Martin Scholars program. What is it and, and what does it try to achieve? We started that program, as you said, in 2016. And what I was wanting to do was work with a select group of our graduating seniors to try to to, to spend the year with them, exposing them to what was what was going on in the profession. And so we began that program. We selected uh, at the first year 10 students uh, as they were graduating seniors. It was all experiential learning, uh, extracurricular. But after a couple of years, I said, you know what, I really want to teach these kids too. So since uh, 2019, <laughs> I've been actually teaching them every week, two and a half hours every Monday morning, bringing outside speakers, bringing uh, alumni, we go to New York and D.C. in the spring. We go to Atlanta in the fall. And so we really try to, to, to immerse them in, the, in what's going on in the real world. Each of them is assigned a mentor, and they work with them for the year. And we've had 87 graduates now. Uh, we've got 12 in the current class. Mm-hmm. We're approaching 100 uh, total students. It's not a scholarship program. We don't give them all checks, but instead we try to give them life learning. Uh, and many of them are doing really, really well. Uh, in uh, in their uh, professions and their careers now all over the place. They're in New York and D.C. and Atlanta and Chicago and all over the place. So uh, the programs really worked very well and uh, I'm very proud of the students and, and their, their achievements. Uh, Tom, what inspired you to become involved specific, specifically in mentoring? Um, and how has that shaped your, your own leadership style? You know, it's funny, Mike. I think that what, we, what I saw early on 
was that students, while it was great to have, you know, outside speakers, there are the advisory council meetings, things like that, students needed a little bit longer term relationships to, to really get a better understanding of what was needed uh, in their career development. And so when we started the Martin Scholar Program, I, I assigned mentors to each of the students for the year, and it worked really, really well. Having said that, I will say, and this really gets to the bigger themes of this of this podcast, you know, mentoring relationships are very dependent on both the mentor's uh, involvement, but also the mentees. And, you know, you, Gary, and Mike, both speaking about your own relationships informally being mentored, a lot of it depends on how willing the mentee is to accept the kind of knowledge and insights that the mentor brings. And uh, I've, we found that the most successful mentoring relationships are ones when the mentee really grabs onto that and uh, is, is open to the insights and experience that the, that the mentor brings. You know, one of the things that I found is, is kind of interesting is that oftentimes I got more out of the relationship than my mentees. Uh, have, have you had that kind of feeling? Yeah, very much so. And I think, it, again, it's dependent. I mean, some work better than others, but, but I think in the best cases, what I tell the mentees is, look, go with your hand full, not empty. And by that, I mean, you've got a lot of insight and, and knowledge yourself. You, you may be 21 years old, but you may know more about TikTok or more about Instagram or more about other social media platforms or whatever's the next big thing. Bring, those, bring that knowledge to the, to the relationship. And mentors are very eager to hear that. I've talked to many mentors who say they've learned more from their mentees than, than they think they imparted. So it's very definitely, uh, but, but again, it's going with your hand full, not I need something from you. But instead, I, I'm bringing something to you as well. Right. So what are young people looking for today in mentoring relationships? You know, it really depends. Uh, some obviously are just mainly looking for a job and they, they want to build their network and, and get connections that will help them get interviews and ultimately get jobs. But others, I think, are looking for deeper uh, relationships, deeper understanding of, of why did you succeed? You know, mentors are almost by definition successful people. I think what what mentees want to know is what are the keys to your success? You know, why did you succeed when others may not have succeeded as well? And also, what are some mistakes that you made and how can I learn from those mistakes and not make them myself? Well, that that would make me a good mentor because I got a I got a bag full of mistakes that I could discuss with people. One guy who doesn't make mistakes is Gary Great. Hey, Gary, I I I mentioned earlier that you and I first met a long time ago and some sessions we did together, GE and GM. And I always admired the work that you did, particularly around culture and change, all that. When I remember some of the people I knew at GM, I, I think of the all-star CCO, Steve Harris, who was just amazing. And it seemed to be a communications team that really valued development and collaboration. So is that where your sort of your mentoring journey started uh, at GM? I, I'm not, I, I wouldn't say it started there, Gary, but I, I, it certainly took a big, big turn there. I mean, Steve, uh, as you said, Steve Harris, one of the most iconic CCOs in the industry. He, he brought together just a group of people, Tony yeah. Cervone, who, you know, and, and Tom Kovaleski, who was who was passed on, unfortunately, but people like that. He brought together a group of people that he not only mentored, he basically kind of helped us grow. 
you know, not just as communications professionals, but as people. And the way he managed the function, he managed it around, as you said, development. Everything was a learning opportunity. And he encouraged us as leaders to go out. Remember, at the time, Gary, there were 700 people wow. in communications in GM. <laughs> I mean, it was a small country. <laughs> and, and, and he basically, you know, motivated us to go out and, and hold lunch and learns and hold development sessions and, you know, share knowledge uh, with, with our staffs around the world. And, and I think that meant a lot because I think the function grew in stature. Uh, with him there. It was one of those functions that, and then he, he established a consortium that you and GE <laughs> were a part of as well as J&J and some other iconic uh, brands. But uh, for me, mentoring, and I think Tom hit on a lot of the uh, the points and, and, and what Tom has done at Charleston has just been phenomenal. And I, I tip my cap to Tom for his vision and his commitment and so on. But for me, it started with my first job where I, where I was just a kid out of college and I started at this wire and cable manufacturer in upstate New York. And um, I was just a dumb kid who who didn't really understand that he was making no money. Nobody cared about him. And uh, my job description said I only was, was responsible for a four-page newsletter that basically told recipes and bowling scores. And um, and I just, I just walked around the place and just started talking to people. I wanted to know how the place worked. I wanted to know why there was a strike every two years. I wanted to know why the people in the, in, that were making the cable didn't understand what the business was facing with globalization. I, I just wanted to know stuff. And so I just walked in the rooms, <laughs> walked in the meetings, uh, and people would say, who is this kid? And they'd say, oh, he's just a communications <laughs> guy. So I was allowed to stay. Um, but that process allowed me to learn a lot. And... Um, and, and one of the things I learned, which I pass on now to, to, to folks, is don't let job descriptions become your, basically a barrier to your growth. Job descriptions were, you know, developed by somebody just to make sure that there was some type of process. But uh, if you've got an idea, if you've got a solution, I mean, at 22 years old, we, we, we got a $250,000 grant from the Federal Mediation and Conciliation Service to start a labor management committee. I had no <laughs> idea what I was doing, but we did it. And we stopped the two-year strike that were happening. And, you know, I was making like $11,000 a year, Gary. I mean, I was I was making, I mean, I well, owed them money because my father wanted to make yeah. sure I was working. So I basically had to send that's a check a lot of, back. That's a lot of money, Gary, um, though, in upstate New York. <laughs> yeah, well, it is. It is. Yeah, it is. It is. It is. That's true. That's true. Housing's cheap. Housing's cheap. Yeah. But I mean, that, I think that's where it started. It, it was this. It was this quest, and I think Tom said it. It was this quest. For yeah, that's learning. you know, and Gary, that's, that's really the good. the great <laughs> yeah. thing what you just talked about. And I, you know, the students who listen to the podcast, you know, that sense of curiosity um, goes a long way into opening doors just by asking questions and seeking out people who you think have the answers. Those informal mentoring, uh, mentoring relationships open up for you. It's like, I forget who said it, but it's like having inside a company or any organization an internal sort of infrastructure, right, that you have um, and you learn from um, rather than some formal relationship. And I, by the way, I, Gary, I did the same thing when I got to GE. I used to throw the business section 
in the in the garbage. You know, I was a I was a journal, news journalist, political journalist in politics, and I was like, huh? You know, what's what's organic growth? You know, <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm communicating for the world's uh, biggest and most admired company. But but you know, one one thing, Gary, I would add, and I say this in all sincerity. I've learned from each one of you, from Mike Fernandez, from Gary Sheffer, from Tom Martin, from afar. I mean, mentoring to me doesn't have to be a one-on-one situation. I saw what you did at, at GE. I saw what Mike did at Cargill in his career. I saw what Tom did at ITT um, and, and throughout his career. I, I looked to people like you um, for guidance, for direction, for strategy, Mm-hmm. for meaning, quite frankly, in terms of, of, of what we did for a living. So mentoring for me was always about what I could find that intrigued you know, me. So, Gary, you've continued uh, this sort of focus on mentoring. You're on the board, I believe, the advisory board of the Planck Center. Is, is that correct, Gary? Right. So yes. the Planck Center, yes. by the way, for listeners, is named after industry legend Betsy Planck. And if you don't know who she is, Look her up, and it's really she had an amazing, amazing career and impact on what we do. So, Gary, if you don't mind, tell us about the Planck Center and what it does, particularly with mentoring. Yeah, the Planck Center, as you said, is uh, was formed through a a grant that was left as part of um, Betsy Planck's will, the University of Alabama. And Betsy, as Gary, as you pointed out, is, is she was a, a trailblazer in our industry and um, a spitfire. And she basically mentored and guided, you know, thousands of, 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 of folks in the industry. And the Planck Center is dedicated to basically keeping her vision and mission alive, which is mentoring and kind of emerging, the emerging leaders of tomorrow. And so the Planck Center has a number of programs. They have men- uh, mentoring uh, program. They, they identify a, a kind of a slew of mentors throughout the year. They have a gala every November in Chicago, they've been doing that for years, and uh, they basically promote this idea from from the classroom uh, right through the to the corporation. This concept of making sure that you're giving back, and the the big part of what they do is around, as I said, emerging leaders, giving giving people you know in school, in college, all the way up to ten years of in their profession, a network of people that can work together, grow, learn from, and basically be very, very empathetic about what they're all going through. You know, looking for that first job, looking for that second job, you know, figuring out, okay, now that I've been in the profession five years and I really like internal or I like media or like, I, how do I further that now into in terms of the next level of growth? And so they, they do a tremendous amount of good and 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 the kids involved, as, as Tom said with, with his program, the kids keep it keep it alive. They keep it real. They keep it honest. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And and Gary, I I note that you're obviously engaged in playing center. You're teaching in the classroom at Syracuse, but you also have your consulting work. And I'm just curious, as, as you work with CEOs and boards and communications leaders, are companies and PR agencies placing a high enough value on mentoring? No. No, not at all. And my, again, an N of one. No, because what happens, Mike and, and Gary and Tom, and, and, you know, this is love to hear your takes on this, but, but what happens in an agency or corporation, they try to program it. Yeah. Everything, it becomes a PowerPoint. Yeah. It's, it's a campaign. 
you know, they get buttons that say I'm a mentor, you know, it's, it's, and, and, and nobody cares after like the, the second week and the pizza's gone. I mean, they, they, what they don't do is they don't train their managers to be, to understand the concept of mentoring. And Mike, I think you said it at the outset, mentoring doesn't have to be a direct one-on-one relationship. As a mentoree, you can reach out to people. They, I, I know many people in my life didn't know they were mentors. Right. Because I just was the guy that showed up every every now and then and says, what do you think of this? What do you think of yeah. that? Or why do we yeah. do this? And and they would give you their, their opinion. They were very conscious of it. They were very kind. But I don't think they went home and said, boy, I'm mentoring Gary Grace. Um, right. But in agencies and corporations, I think it's the same thing that we see with DE&I. Mm-hmm. We make it a program. We make it a campaign. We don't understand what we're actually solving for. Yeah. And I think what Tom is doing, again, if I can, I can speak to that, mm-hmm. uh, and Tom push back if I do see it, Tom is making it natural. Right. Tom is making mentoring organic. Yeah. And that's, to me, what it needs to be. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you kind of, you've used the word over and over again about learning. And I'm, I'm, I'm drawn to what I learned as an undergrad at Georgetown where the Jesuits used to say the questions are more important than the answers. And really what you want, I think, in a relationship, a mentoring relationship, is is, is where you're both trying to learn. And, and clearly the mentor is trying to help the mentee learn and navigate uh, questions that a person might have about their own development, about their own career. But the other side of it, a, a good men, you know, a good mentor is also prompting with good questions. Um, I guess I, I wonder, and this is a question for both of you, is there something about communications that makes mentoring in our field different? Maybe go to you first, Gary. That's a good, that's a great question. You know, to be honest, Mike, I, I, I mean, we're all supposed to be communicators, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I, I think I think it comes back to what Gary Sheffer said earlier. I think it's curiosity more than anything. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it start like you said, the Jesuits. I think it starts with curiosity and questions, finding out what you don't know. I was I, I don't know if you guys remember John Bud. Yeah, right. John Bud was a pistol. And I met John Bud. Mm, he yeah. actually was one of the first people that got me into page. Right. And I remember spending time with John Budd over the years. And John Budd would, like you said, Mike, he would always pepper me. with. He would always be provocative. Like, like, you know, why did you think about it this way? Or what do you think about that? Or, you know, this is wrong. But he would do it in a way that really made you step back and go, you know what? I'm not thinking about this holistically. But he but but I bet you, you know, he, he's passed on. He would never think that he was my mentor. You see what I'm saying? I don't know if it's different. I think it's just, it starts with this, this relationship of, of just trying to find things out. Yeah. Yeah. Tom, is there, is there something different about communications that makes mentoring in our field different? I think, I think so in this sense. I mean, the, if you think about the best communicators, they really are advocates for the people who aren't in the room. They're the advocates for the employees who aren't there, for the customers who aren't there. Um, that's a that's a, a an intangible kind of of quality. It's hard to train. You, it's not like a legal counsel where you you know you have a whole lot of law that you can refer to, or financial uh, counseling where you've got you know lots of regulations you have to adhere to. So I think teaching that kind of intangible value 
is one of the things that mentors can do in the communications field. That's why the, the Martin Center is called the Martin Center for Mentorship and Communication. So we're really focusing on the communication profession itself. But a couple of things I'll pick up on, on what Gary said. You know, I think intangibles eat skills for breakfast. I mean, in, in all these jobs, you're going to train people the skills that they need to do them. What's hard to teach, what's hard to train are things like empathy and humility and curiosity. And yet when you think about the successful people in, in the field, like the three of you, um, it's those qualities that have really been the ones that have been as, as important to your success as just knowing how to read a, a balance sheet or knowing how to you know, interact with a, with a reporter. And so I think uh, mentors can be very, very helpful in trying to get those intangibles imparted to people through their example, through their stories and their anecdotes. Um, that's what I think is important. But, but again, the student, the, the mentee has got to be open uh, to, to hearing that advice and, and taking that advice and acting on it. So hearing that, who's, who should set the goals in a mentoring relationship? You know, we start thinking about topics and we start thinking about uh, the frequency. We start thinking about the agenda for each meeting. Who, who should be driving that? One of the things, uh, Mike, that we've been doing at the Martin Center is we've been doing some actual research and we're doing more of it to try to understand the dynamics of the relationship. One of the things we found that's, I think, interesting is a lot of it depends on the expectations of both the mentor and the mentee. And what we're trying to do is do a better job of matching people with similar expectations instead of just matching people sort of by random mm -hmm. or whatever. And when I say that, for example, some, some mentors are very task or transaction oriented. They really want to say, I want to see your resume. I want to, you know, I want to meet on a regular basis or whatever. They're very, you know, th that framework. Other mentors say, hey, I, I don't have a, a specific agenda. I just want to talk to you and share my stories and that sort of thing. Well, mentees have some of those same differences in their expectations. Some just want to say, could you review my resume? I've got an interview coming up. Could we do a mock interview? So we're trying to get a better match between the expectations of both so that they're consistent and that, and that people get what they are, are looking for. That's great, Tom. It, it really, in the programs, to Gary's point, where it's been sort of a uh, arranged marriage in some of these official programs. There, I have not had something in common with the mentee. And after the first or second meeting, there's not a lot of ground to cover, right? And, and it's nobody's fault. It's just we're different people, right? We're just we're just different. And and so I love the idea of matching expectations and needs, if that's the right word, uh, with mentees and mentors. And I, go ahead, yeah. Mike. No, no, no. So, so, so one of the things that, that, that struck me, accord with me, when you talked about it, it's just different. Wondering if either Gary Grates or, or, or Tom, whether you've had any experience around diversity-centered mentoring and how has that kind of worked or not worked and what are sort of the keys of making that work? I mean, one of the things we're finding, uh, Mike, is that, uh, again, some students say, I want someone who's had my life experience, who looks like me, you know, who I can relate to. But other students say, I don't necessarily want someone who looks like me. I want someone who's different. I want to learn from someone who's had different experience. So I think part of it is you've got to understand the what are the expectations and what are the desires of the person? Uh, we do, you know, we try to match people sometimes similar backgrounds, ethnicities and experience to others. 
But then we find that some students say, no, that's not what I'm looking for. I want somebody who's lived in New York where I've never even been, or I want somebody who's worked in, you know, branding and marketing. And I've, I've never worked in those areas. So it just, again, here's what I think, going back to Gary's point, here's why I think a lot of mentoring programs, quote unquote, fail. It's because there's not a commitment to, to a continued cadence of meetings and expectations and outcomes. That's why they fall apart. It, it's two lunches and you're done. That's yeah. Those don't work. It, it's got to be regular, consistent communications over some span of time. Um, and again, trying to match up expectations. I think that's what the ones that, that do better. Yeah. And I've always found, uh, you know, to that point, Tom, I've always found that, again, for me, whenever I've reached out to folks uh, through my career, it was always to kind of, as I said, learn something or solve something. I remember early in my career, uh, after working for a couple of agencies, I, I really was was um, kind of disappointed and, dis- and distraught about the fact that as communications professionals, we were always chasing symptoms, you know, and we were busy and we got sweaty and we put build hours, but we didn't solve anything. And I remember going to, when I f- first went to GM, I went to Rick Wagner, who's the CEO, and we got into this whole discussion about causes versus symptoms. In this concept, and he was the one who said, you know, you've got to start, Gary, with what you're solving for, not communication. I could care about communications. I need you to think about the business first. Now, if you can apply communications to, to solving it, I'm all ears. But never come in to me and tell me that we need to be on Instagram or we need to be because <laughs> that, that's that's going to help. You know, come in and tell me how we're going to sell more cars or come in and tell me how we're going to make quality a priority in the business. So. When, whenever I had, you know, these these thoughts about what I what I was seeing, and the same thing at, at the cable company. I mean, I, I kept saying to myself, "Why do we do they go on strike every two years? You, every two years, you can't even. By the time the strike is settled, you're into the next strike. You know, <laughs> how, how does this company ever going to survive? And it was it was just those kinds of questions. And then you realize that the company was doing nothing to engage or educate its workforce. And so it was this perpetual death march, you know, and um, but it was always as the mentoree on my side to push the mentor, the people that I went to, so to speak. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of The Crux. On The Crux, we discuss the intersection of communications, business and society. Follow us at The Crux on Facebook and Twitter. You can also find our episodes on SoundCloud, Spotify, iTunes, and on our website at thecruxpodcast.org. Now, let's get back to the episode. Yeah. You know, Gary, now as you, uh, Mike asked me this question at the beginning, did I ever have a, a, a mentor? And now I, I'm thinking about listening to you and Tom. I actually had a lot. <laughs> you know, when I think about it, right? Yeah. And and we shouldn't have it formally. Right. And and one of whom, as I was sitting here thinking about this, listening to you guys, uh, Zenya Muka. Uh, Zenya was uh, my Disney. boss. Yeah, yeah, was my boss uh, working for Governor Pataki. And, you know, Zenya could be tough. 
But I learned so many things. To your point, Gary, she yeah. did not know she was my mentor, yeah, and she right. would have she would have chafed at the thought, right? <laughs> and uh, so, anyways, so I'm going to give a shout out here to Zen, who's now at TikTok. Thank you for mentoring me uh, many many years ago. So, so Tom, let's get to your podcast, and I want to talk to you about it. You've had your college president on. So kudos for some courage there. Although we did have the BU president on at one time, Mike, uh, Bob Brown. We did. And you've had our friend, Steve Cody, the founder and C CEO of Peppercom. And then last week, you had a fascinating interview with Jackie Dalton, the CEO of Sparrow Executive Jets, who was a high school dropout and a horse racing jockey before getting into business. What have you? What did you learn from the interview with Jackie about our topic? Well, actually, it's, I've learned it from all the interviews. We've now done about seven or eight of the, of the programs and, and released three of them. What I what we've what have, we've been finding, which has been fascinating, first of all, very few of the people that we've interviewed have had formal mentoring relationships, kind of like what we've talked about. They all, but they all had people who had no connection with them necessarily, take an interest in them and help them at critical moments in their careers. Jackie Dalton had had a, a guy who helped her get into racing, uh, helped her train to, for her first race. She goes out and wins her first race as a, as a female jockey on the thoroughbred racing. Um, somebody else helped her, a professor actually, saw her at the back of the room kind of thing and said, I know your story. I know who you are. You need to aim higher. She goes on to get a magna cum laude from Northwestern. You know, so she's wow. so... And that's really been the case with all the people I've talked to, the, the emotional connection that they've had with these mentors uh, and, the, and the difference that they made in their lives has been profound. And it's been wonderful to hear these stories. And I hope we can hear a lot more of them as we go along. Okay. Yeah. So I'm just curious about the two of you. You've, you've, you've had lots of mentoring relationships, you participate and have grown programs around mentoring. How do you see the role of mentoring evolving in the future, especially considering uh, changes in, in work dynamics, in technology and the like? Uh, Gary? Uh, I, look, I think it's I, I think technology is making it much more accelerated. I, I see it with my own class at Syracuse, teacher leadership and the management course in a consultative approach to communications course and the students today we have guest speakers on and so on the students are all over it i mean you we have a guest speaker on it and the students not only linked in with them but they're calling them on the phone mm -hmm. and the guest speakers love it they love the opportunity to to connect with these kids and i know that, that there's relationships that have gone on now for several years with a lot of folks in the, in various industries uh, automotive and aviation and pharmaceutical, whatever, with with a lot of our students. And I think the students today, as far as I can tell, are much more open to because of the technology and, and just how they how they run their lives. It's very open, transparent, you know, socially engaged that it's 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 much more it's much easier today, in my opinion, than when I, <laughs> you know, was entering and we didn't have that those, you know, pathways. You had to kind of do it yourself. Now they can, they'll, they'll just out of the clear blue sky, you know, LinkedIn with somebody or send them a, a DM or something and, and boom, all of a sudden there's a relationship there. So I, I think it's, it's only going to get more. And I, and I love the fact that we, the industry is paying it forward, that people that are on this call and a lot of our colleagues and peers are, uh, 
they take the time to make it work. Mm-hmm. Tom, how do you see the role of mentoring evolving? Well, I, I think, I mean, I certainly mm-hmm. Gary's right. Technology's helped in a lot of ways, but we also see a lot of you know, increasing remote work. I mean, there are people, many of my students now never go to a workplace. They're all starting out working remotely. And that, that presents some incredible challenges for employers. They've got to really be very creative in how they build collaboration and camaraderie, how they do onboarding, how they make people feel a part of an organization. And I think when you're only there two days a week or three days a week, that's going to be, or never, that's going to be really tough. My, my youngest son works for a company that he works completely remotely. And there are companies here in Charleston that, that, that they're, it's remote first. That's, that's their hiring principle now. So yes, there's some pushback to that. There's a desire to get people back in the office, but it's never going to go back to like it was in 2019. So I think with that, you've got to be very mindful about how you approach things like mentoring and building that loyalty or else the retention levels are going to just be very, very challenged, I think, because people aren't going to feel part of an organization or part of a part of a team. So for the podcast, who are you trying to reach? Who's the audience that you think would benefit from the the folks you're interviewing and, and the discussions you're having? I think the principal audience really uh, would be students and and recent graduates. That's a tough audience because uh, sometimes it's tough for them to see value in listening to uh, seasoned people, as you might say, uh, talk about you know their their mentoring experiences. So we're actually trying to get more and more younger people on the pod on the podcast so that they can relate more to that person's experience. And I've gotten a lot of good feedback from our students, you know, about how they, how we can make the program better. But there is another audience, which is people who are considering becoming mentors. And, you know, because I think a lot of people would benefit from being mentors, whether it's formal or informal. Uh, And there's tremendous amount of wisdom that can be passed on from people who've been out for, you know, eight years, 10 years, 15 years from college, uh, who can impart, how do you make your first career change? You know, how do you leave a job? How do you, you how do you build a network? Those kind of things. So, I'd say it's really primarily students and recent graduates, but also uh, people of, of all ages who are considering becoming mentors. You know, the, the question I've been getting a lot lately, going back to the previous discussion on remote work and the future of mentoring, is students or former students of mine who have been offered their first job and it's remote and they're weighing that versus waiting on another offer or seeking another offer where they might have some in-office experience, right? And, and they're concerned about working remotely in their first job and not getting to do what Gary did in that wire and cable job, which is walk around the place and bother a bunch of people, right? right? And what do you say, what do you say in that situation? Because it comes up a lot for me. I think you've got, I think students, recent graduates, new hires have got to be intentional about how they sort of recreate the water cooler experience or the break room experience. They've got to reach out to people and say, hey, could I give you a call uh, next Tuesday and just talk about some other things other than just work, you know, or I'd like to hear more about your fly fishing experience, or I'd like to hear more about that trip you took or whatever. You've got, you're going to have to be intentional about that because it doesn't happen accidentally anymore like it used to. I have a question about water coolers. When's the last time you saw (laughs) that? 
they, they still exist. We have them on the campus here. But, uh, it's hot, it's hot down there in Charleston. Uh, it is. It can get sticky and buggy. Um, so, Gary, if someone is interested in becoming a mentor, uh, what would you recommend? And are there any tips coming from the Planck Center? I think the biggest thing is to, when you say you want to become a mentor, understand what that means from a commitment standpoint and an interest standpoint. It, it's it's not saying, you know, it's I want to be a mentor and I'll, I'll bop in and out. Um, it's really making a commitment to get to know the person or persons. Having a game plan, as we've talked about, you know, if, you're, if I'm a me- mentor right now, the people that that come to me a lot. I know exactly where we are in the conversation continuum. I know what we've talked about yesterday. I know what we need to talk about tomorrow. I know what they're missing in terms of gaps. So I'll send them articles and prompts and other things that just to keep the thing moving because you just can't go into this lightly. You know, it's, it's gotta be something. And, and Tom has said it a million times. It's gotta be something that is, you have, you have to be in the moment with this stuff and you've got to really, you got to care. I mean, I, I think the bottom line is you got to care and you've got to see, you know, and, and, you know, I still yeah. write notes to, to students when I see them, you know, progressing in their careers and whatever, and that'll prompt them to come back and say, Oh my God, there's a, I've been, there's a question that's been burning that I want to ask you, you know, because some just time and and life gets in the way of stuff. But if you care, I think you'll do a lot to just to make sure that things keep moving. Is the point. Last question. How, How do you, how do you measure or should we even be measuring the relative success of mentoring programs because there are programs um is it is there some kind of roi that you can point to internally to say you know this worked or this didn't work i mean i look uh gary i look at uh student outcomes basically mm-hmm. as as the measure um it doesn't mean you know did you get this person a job but but it it does mean did you help this person grow a network did you help this person at, at critical moments in their in their lives and careers, you know, make 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 uh, better decisions. Um, what we're trying to do is evaluate a couple of things. One, did the did the meetings actually occur? You know, were there? Because I think sometimes if you leave it to its own devices, some students will just kind of never call their mentor up and never, you know, that just doesn't happen. So you have to measure the actual cadence of meetings. You know, did they did you actually have interaction and in, what kind of, we also do qualitative uh, surveys with our mentors and mentees after the fact saying, you know, how was the relationship? Did it work? Did, you know, did you find it helpful? That kind of thing. But I think ultimately it's, it's did the students, uh, you know, I've got students I've been helping for decades, <laughs> literally. I mean, my longest term relationship actually is with my, is up my third son, Robert, who he and I were matched when he was 12 years old in the Big Brothers program. And we still talk all the time. We were just on a podcast uh, a few days ago um, about our long-term relationship, 40 year relationship. We just celebrated our 40th anniversary and he's like my third son, but you know, and, but the other thing I'd say to that is don't think you're buying into this for a lifetime. You know, I mean, if you want to be a mentor, it doesn't have to last 40 years, but, but you do, as Gary said, you do have to care. You do have to care. And that's, yeah, that's I really think, a key to I, it. you know, I think I'll come, you know, again, this is me. I agree with everything Tom said. Anytime you put outcomes or KPIs to anything, Gary, I think 
it's dead in the water. I think that that people are starting. It's what happened to DEI, right? We chased all the wrong shit, right? So, so the bottom line, I I, I think it's the outcomes. It's the way people are are you know the, the the way students are benefiting or the way young professionals are benefiting, and people know when it's working or not. It's one of those things that you don't have to give them a dashboard. Yeah. So one last question from me. Um, I'm going to ask the, the the two of you the same question I, I asked of Gary at the outset, which was, did you have a mentor uh, or mentors that changed the way you thought about your work, your career? First, Gary, and then uh, Tom. Yeah, I, I, to Gary Sheffer's point, I probably have had two dozen mentors that didn't know they were mentors. And, and that includes family members. That includes friends. That includes cousins. That includes people that I met, you know, in, in a course. They, they, whoever dropped pearls of wisdom along the way for me or got me out of trouble or, or made me take a different path, you know. Well, getting out of trouble. Yeah, that's, that's a big one. Be. That's a big one. <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I, that, that, that was worth its weight in gold. There you go. Tom? You know, I was when I, I was actually one of the recipients of the Milestones and Mentoring Award from the Planck Center. And in fact, that's at that meeting in November of uh, 21 was when I started thinking about doing the Martin Center. So, I mean, really, the Planck Center was kind of the where the origin of that all came from. But in, in my speech, you know, I cited a woman named Gladys Jack. She's been dead for a long time. But when I was a little kid, eight years old, nine years old, I would go over to her house and sit and she was a, a English teacher at the high school. And I'd sit and talk to her for, for an hours at a time. You know why? I have no idea, but she really had a profound influence on the way I think to this day, you know, some, you know, 60 years later. So, um, so, you know, you never know when someone's going to have a, a, a profound impact on your life, but you got to be open to it and they've got to be willing to sit there and talk to you for an hour um, about things that, you know, it, it may not be apparent at the moment, but those, those things can last a lifetime. I wrote a, I wrote a LinkedIn post, um, recently, uh, similar to, to Tom's experience about my grandmother who used to say life waits for no one. And that's, that's, I wrote a post about that. That's, that's kind of followed me my whole career, you know? <laughs> those are great. Those are great stories. So, Tom, I, I hate to do this, um, but I wanted to ask you, how can folks find your your <laughs> podcast as a competitor to? Hey, Gary, I don't, I don't, I don't look as, at you as a competitor. I look at you. <laughs> I, 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 you're an aspirational model for me. You're I, there you go. There you go. You're I a love friend of me. Yes, it's you. No, <laughs> Mindful Mentoring with Tom Martin. Sorry. Mindful Mentoring with Tom Martin. And you can find it on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or Buzz. Most proud, it's it's where it's hosted. Yeah, mindful mentoring with Tom Martin, and you should be able to find it. Excellent, excellent, Tom and Gary. This has been a lot of fun. Thanks, thank guys. you for being on being on the crux of the stories for our listeners. Join us again next week for another episode of the crux of the story. Thank you, thank you. Thanks for listening to the crux, and make sure to listen for our next episode. Follow us at The Crux on Facebook and on Twitter, and you can find our episodes on SoundCloud and on our website, thecruxpodcast.org.